welcome to the Movies Are Good podcast. How's it going, everybody? I'm your host, Pie Man. What's up? This week, you know, not a lot new. Not a lot new in cinemas coming in, but there was one very prominent movie, and that's Evil Dead Rise. And I have to say, I'd seen the original trilogy with Bruce Campbell before. I haven't seen Ash vs. the Evil Dead. Still haven't. I'd never seen the 2013 remake, so I watched that as well. We're going to rank all Evil Dead movies today, including the new one, which i got to say... Just throwing it in there early. Maybe horror movie of the year. I am re- I, not a massive Evil Dead fan. I'd seen them before. Not a massive fan. But maybe horror movie of the year. That blew me away. I'm just back from seeing it. And holy crap. First though, we're going to start with the other pretty big release this week. It's not a cinema release. It's a, it's a little streaming release. And it went wrong in the way that streaming movies do. I'm talking about Ghosted. Anna Darmus, Chris Evans, action, romance, comedy, sounds very good, right? Sounds like a chill streaming movie that should work really well. Here's my problem with it. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Anyway, later on the show, we'll also be talking about RRR, because I finally checked that out, the Indian madcap epic from last year. Uh, searching and missing a couple of screen life thrillers, which is a genre that I think is really going to pick up after watching those two. It could work out really well. We're also going to talk about The Beaster Bunny, because I found out that's a thing, so I had to watch that. And we're going to talk about The Mandalorian Season 3, because that's wrapped up as well. So let's get into it. Ghosted. Yeah, you know, we've seen these before. I mean, we've seen a lot of these before, okay? It's really, really nothing new to have two big stars do a romantic action comedy, all right? And even one where it's one getting led into a world of intrigue, not realizing when they began dating this person that they're a spy. I mean, Night and Day jumps to mind as exactly this with the gender roles reversed. Um, that was Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz. She started dating him, and then he kidnapped her, brought her on this mission, revealed he was a spy, and she was like, what? Almost the same thing here, except that Anna Darmus is a spy. Chris Evans is just this simple farmer guy who gets really clingy in relationships, and he meets this woman who immediately, their first interaction is she's trying to buy a plant from him at a stall at a farmer's market. And he says no, because she makes it clear very quickly that she wants something that she doesn't really have to, like, care for. And it becomes this whole thing about relationships that really, it's a trend throughout the movie, you know? That she's really not into relationships that are clingy, or where you have to give that that person or that plant a lot of care or attention. She really likes, like, the cactus. Like, she wants a cactus. She's so... He's trying the whole film to, like, make himself be a cactus, you know, so that she'll like him. And, um, <clears throat> I don't know what it says about the movie that, I mean, spoilers, spoilers for Ghosted, if if you care that much. <laughs> but, obviously, they end up together at the end. And I just, I don't get why... <laughs> modern day we're gonna we're really gonna talk about relationship dynamics and how people just have different styles yeah and then at the end she just kind of goes yeah i i, I want to be with you i don't, I don't know if it, it seems like it's going to go fundamentally wrong very quickly but maybe they're trying to set themselves up for a sequel with that i don't know but it just seems silly that the whole movie he's trying to like make himself over to become something she'll like more and then he kind of just 
Does it? It seems like by the end he's kind of just done it. He changes his entire life. So, anyway. So, the plot is this guy, this nice, simple guy, he meets this girl. They have an incredible date. One. Okay? One date. I mean, it's a, it's a whole day they spend together, but it's one date. All right? They met one time. And then he decides, with the help of his insane parents, to go to London, where he figures out she is, after she ghosts him and doesn't respond to about 20 messages he sends. So, <laughs> it's also interesting to set the president that that could work. Because <laughs> they end up together after he decides to do that. So, there's that. But he goes to London, gets caught in a trap that was actually set for her. And then all these bad guys end up thinking that he's a spy. And then there's a just ridiculously basic Mission impossible kind of plot where there's this briefcase. It's got a chemical weapon inside. And they got to figure out who knows the code. And the bad guys think they know the code, but they don't know the code. They got to figure out who knows the code. And yeah. And I mean, I, I got to say, like, just wow. <laughs> I just got to say, wow. It's, um, the whole film, it's just unpleasant in the weirdest way. Because... It is, and I expected, and I was excited for this. That's the other thing. I was actually really hyped up for this. I thought I was going to, you know, enjoy it. And I, I, was, I don't know why I was so hyped, because I never, I just like movies like that. Action, comedy, romance put together. I think it's just generally a very pleasant watch, you know? It's just, and especially for like a streaming movie, you go, yeah, that's just going to be one of those nice streaming movies. It's not. And part of that is because it's action, or no, it's, it's more... It's hate-on-hate romance first, primarily. That's the majority of what the movie is. Hate-on-hate. They have an immediate dislike of each other. Their first interaction is an argument. It's one of those meet-cutes where it's, oh, they're they're hating and they, they don't like each other. And then eventually they'll like each other, right? And that is what it is. They do eventually like each other, but they just argue. Even when they figure out they like each other, they just argue bitterly, angrily. And it's just not... I don't know, personally, I didn't find it pleasant at all to watch. They're two very charismatic actors. There was zero chemistry there at all. And that's especially weird because they were starring opposite each other in Knives Out and they felt like they had a real good rapport going in that. So it's just the writing, I guess, here. And that that stylistic focus because it's primarily this, this horrible, like, icky kind of romance. Not icky as in... Super sweet. That's what I expected. No, no, not at all. Um, and then secondary, it's an action movie. It's kind of still somewhat trying to be that. And then tertiary, and it's like a really far third place, is the comedy. There are some really great potential moments of very funny comedy in here. There's a cameo by Ryan Reynolds because he's just in everything. I can't even watch football anymore without him being on my TV. Um, and that wasn't funny. It wasn't funny. It was a kind of, oh, he's there, oh. And then what he said, it was just kind of like, oh, right. And, and it should have been better written. It should have been better done. It should have been better executed. It was really just thrown in there randomly. And then the other, the bigger cameo bit was there's all these assassins that are chasing them at one point, And there's this great sequence. It was actually a very fun sequence where uh, Anthony Mackie 
comes and like accosts them and like he's trying to take them and he's like I'm the best hitman ever and then he gets shot and John Cho turns up and he's like ah no no he was second best and now I've got you and then he gets taken out and Sebastian Stan turns up so it was it was really funny it was really funny but it should have been genius hilariousness and and it was only pretty funny as a scene it just nothing was played off the right way the direction was weird the writing was bad and as a result there was no chemistry between the leads and that really fucks everything up so i gotta give ghosted like a four out of ten like that it's rough i really expected to not not like super love this but i was quite hyped for from the moment i heard about it and then i saw the trailer and i was like "Eh, okay and my my excitement has just disappeared. So that is that is kind of depressing. I, I did still think going in to watch it, I was like, okay, I'm kind of looking forward to this. And no. <laughs> Even quite quickly, you could tell this was just very subpar. So no, can't recommend it. Even for just a nice sit down and watch if you've got Apple TV. And I mean, who actually does? <laughs> I don't feel like I ever hear about people having Apple TV. I got it so I can watch Ted Lasso. But by the way, Ted Lasso, great. <laughs> great, you love it. But no, this just did nothing for me. The, a whole bunch of movies, because I mean, I mentioned Night and Day, but there's a lot of these. I feel like almost every single other one that I've seen that blends these things together does it better than this one which is really really disappointing and i gotta say for uh for one of the first things i've seen chris evans in to follow up his marvel career like yikes <laughs> it's, it's not going much better for him than it is for robert Downey jr is it new no. so that's uh that was one disappointment this week fortunately i didn't get another i sat down and re-watched the evil dead movies and you know there were some surprises for me it's been a while since I watched any of them, I think, and I'd never seen the 2013 reboot, and this was obviously my first time seeing the brand new Evil Dead Rise. And if we're going to rank them, I'm going to surprise myself. Um, starting at the bottom, I'm really, I'm really surprised. I'm going to start with Army of Darkness. I... Th- I think watching them back, that's my least favorite of the Evil Dead movies. Look, I should preface this by saying I'm a sucker for like a cabin in the woods. You know, if I'm watching through a set of horror movies, the most enjoyment I'll get is by just like rewatching the Friday the 13th movies. Even though it's just gradual decline in quality, there's just so many of them that it's like, it's just simple. Got this remote location, bunch of people, Jason's there, he's got to murder them. I love it. Just love that. So the Evil Dead movies, 1 and 2, and the 2013 remake, they're all set in like this remote cabin in the woods. There's just something about that that kind of gets me. So maybe that's part of why Army of Darkness just didn't do it for me on rewatch. In my head, I really liked it. I liked it more than the first Evil Dead. But rewatching them, I changed my mind. And yeah, so Army of Darkness, Ash gets sent back in time after the first two Evil Dead movies, which were basically kind of pretty similar yeah (laughs) let's say every evil dead movie is kind of its own reboot and that is becoming quite an in-joke almost for the series but this one ah, yeah it's just it's the one that's 90 percent comedy you know the the new evil dead evil dead rise surprised me by being kind of 90 percent horror when they're normally a bit of a 50 50 split between horror and comedy 
but Army of Darkness was the opposite. It was 90% com Well, it, it was 100% comedy. There's no, there's nothing scary about this. There's nothing really all that horror-y about this. Um, it is just a kind of insane thing. It's like if Americans tried to make Monty Python the Holy Grail. It's, yeah. It is baffling. It's, <laughs> it's the dream of every red-blooded American who loves guns, getting sent back in time, being able to go like, look at my gun, and, uh, and just shooting up a bunch of people. And I don't hate it to watch it back, but it doesn't do much for me. I don't find it that funny, really, anymore. I did at one stage. I, in my head, I thought, yeah, I really like Army of Darkness. It's a bit of a bummer to watch back. I don't know. It's just, it's not great. And that kind of did make me quite sad. Because I love the character of Ash. I think he's so fun and funny and silly and wacky. And I love Sam Raimi's just madcap style with it. But something about this just felt wrong for me this time, yeah. After that, I'm kind of moving up. I mean, it's a kind of, it's still, it's not that bad. Okay, I'd still say it's like a, it's maybe, it's maybe like a five, Gonna be like a five out of ten, yeah. It's a bit, it's a bit harsh, but yeah. A lot of the comedy just doesn't land for me watching it back now. I felt like I was watching a different movie to what I remembered it being. Well, that's what happens when you get old. <laughs> um, after that, it's probably the original Evil Dead. This thing had a shoestring budget. It, it had the same budget as this video, <laughs> as this podcast does. Um, it's. It's got a lot of weaknesses, which are apparent. You know, a lot of stop-motion animation uh, is used instead of actual effects. A lot of practical effects that look real, real cheap. And I mean, it was. It was me. It's supremely cheap. It's one of the ultimate kind of cult films. Evil Dead 2 is probably more a cult film. And it's just, it's just great. It's, <laughs> it's not, to watch it back, it's not actually amazing. But I still preferred it to Army of Darkness, which did kind of surprise me, because Army of Darkness, although it goes for a bigger style and bigger budget style, it did have a bigger budget. So <laughs> it's kind of surprising to me that it felt sillier than this did, because this is silly. These, they're, they are Evil Dead 1 and 2. They're horror movies. Kind of. <laughs> but I do feel like they're much more 50-50 split between horror and comedy. Ironically, this one kind of felt like it was horror for the first half. <laughs> and then more comedy for the second half. It was one of those splits. Um, which I've seen a couple times before. And it doesn't always work for me. It worked okay here. That kind of changing halfway, kind of, of, uh, of the genre is strange but yeah kind of worked out in a weird way um then after that one it, it it's probably the 2013 remake this was my first time seeing it and it's got your basic style to it with a nice twist a nice flare-up twist it's it's about this group and it's always every every one of them except for armory of darkness which is the black sheep of the franchise every other one of them it's five people and they get picked off. It's always a girl that gets uh, the evil inside of her first, let's say. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, it's always it's always the same. 
even when it's different, it's always the same. These three, Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, and the 2013 Evil Dead, they're all five people, cabin in the woods, try to leave, bridges out, can't leave, stuck there all night, picked off. Find a book in the cabin, uh-oh, bad things, demon, Necronomicon, that sort of thing. There is a real pattern to them, even as much as they are all kind of remakes of each other that constantly update the style. It's weird. But the 2013 one I really liked because it had the lead girl be someone who, she was addicted to heroin, I think it was, and she comes to the cabin, brings her brother, his girlfriend. There's always a sister. <laughs> I feel like it's always the sister gets taken first. Is that true? In the first movie, who got taken first? In the second movie, it, it was just Ash and his girlfriend went to be fair, actually. But then other people arrived later. Is one of them a sister? I don't know. But um, <laughs> but quite often, it's the sister gets taken first. There's always somebody who has a sister. So um, the sister gets taken. She's trying to recover from heroin. So when she starts exhibiting the signs of possession and evil, they just think, oh. She's real struggling to get over that, huh? And uh, and then everyone else gets picked off one by one. And the style of this was weird because it you could tell that it was having a bit of an internal struggle as a film, trying to figure out, do we want to go quite as kooky as the original movies went? And they definitely didn't want to shy away from those completely. They really didn't want to. And they did a good job of updating it while still having kooky elements. In a way that I can imagine maybe people who were going in blind without having seen previous Evil Dead movies would be a bit like, huh? At some of the stuff. Because you wouldn't expect it in this type of movie nowadays. But it does a good blending of genres still. I don't know how I felt about the kind of twisty ending it had. It was a bit different, but because they kind of... You know, they update the rules of how the Necronomicon works and stuff like that with each movie. You kind of get away with little stylistic changes in in the rules and things like that as you go. Um, it was it was really well done. I was kind of surprised after watching it and kind of looking up more about it and seeing like the response that it had gotten that it took them ten years to make another one after that. It seemed quite strange. I'd love to hear the story behind that more, why that happened, or if there was any discussion of other stuff. And obviously they made Ash vs. the Evil Dead, the TV show, in the middle. But still, it seems strange to me. Um, so, after that one, it's Evil Dead 2. Dead by Dawn. This this was the pinnacle. It was. <laughs> I say that, and I'm well aware of what I'm saying, because people love Evil Dead 2, and they should. It is crazy. It... it <sighs> Strangely enough, I think it's just because the first movie became a cult hit very quickly. And Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell saw that and they went, wow. And they wanted to go and do Army of Darkness. Sam Raimi wanted, if he made another film in the franchise, to go and do that into the past, whole different thing. And this, I can't remember who it was, came to him. But it was some big company or some big guy at a big company came to him and said, we want to finance you to have like a way bigger budget for the next movie. We want you to do it again. But we want you to do it again. We want the same thing. So I think at that point, Sam Raimi just went, okay, if I'm doing the film again, I can do it with a bigger budget this time. That's going to help. And why don't we just make it very accessible <laughs> to people who haven't seen the first movie? 
And you can. You can pick up, well, maybe not Army of Darkness, but you can pick up any of the other Evil Dead movies and just watch it. Evil Dead Rise, you don't need to have seen anything else. Evil Dead 2013, no, no, fine, just go for it. Evil Dead 2 is the same, even though it's literally called Evil Dead 2. You would think you'd need to see Evil Dead. Not so. Um, <laughs> and i got to say, the naming convention of the series really frustrates me as well. Because the first movie is called The Evil Dead, and then this movie was called Evil Dead 2. But then the 2013 film is called Evil Dead. So, so Evil Dead 2 is not actually a sequel to Evil Dead. It's a sequel to The Evil Dead. <laughs> and it's just... Uh, that just gets me. When, when franchises have like little, like little problems like that with the names. Don't get me started on Fast and Furious. Jesus. Um, but anyway, yeah. Evil Dead 2 is fantastic. Ash goes up into the mountains, goes to this cabin with his girlfriend. She immediately turns evil. He just lops her head off. Like, I think it was six minutes in, he is lopping her head off. That is an impressive speeding through. But it kind of, doing that meant that they got away with getting themselves to the same point. Because the first film ends with Ash turning around and screaming as the evil comes to try and get into him. And you reach the same point six minutes into the, the sequel. But they've kind of done an explanation without saying, like, just a recap of the first movie. They've done it in a different way. And it's, 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 it's such a weird idea, but it works so well. And it tells a complete story all on its own. And then he does get the evil inside him, and then these other people turn up. And it's just... It was just the complete package of being bigger than the first movie, crazier than the first movie, because Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell went, oh my god, people liked that. <laughs> I think they literally just went, oh my god, people actually liked it, all that crazy shit we did? That was just for fun. Let's do more of it. And they just went bigger this time. It worked better. It was the pinnacle because it was the pinnacle for me, definitely. Because then Army of Darkness just got way wackier even than this and just went way too far for me personally. Watching it back now. But Evil Dead 2 was just that level of yes. Just yes. And I did not expect, even though, like, I, like, for me, Army of Darkness is a 5 out of 10. The original The Evil Dead is a 6. Evil Dead 2013 is a 7. And Evil Dead 2 is an 8. It's an 8. It's not It's not a blow-away favorite horror movie for me. None of The Evil Deads were. It's not a franchise that I ever particularly associated myself with being like a big fan of. I liked them. I'm not like a huge fan of Evil Dead. So I did not expect what I got and how I feel coming out of the cinema today having seen Evil Dead Rise. It is it is my favorite Evil Dead movie. It is wow. <laughs> um it's just just not what I expected. It is 90% horror. There's it shows early on that it hasn't lost the franchise's penchant for comedy and for humor and dark humor but it is a lot darker the humor that's there and it is a lot less frequent basically you get this little prologue bit where it's some teenagers at a cabin in the woods there's there's a couple of nice moments there that are really freaky and nasty and yeah it it's really good but then immediately there's like this girl 
that gets possessed and she comes like floating up out of the water to like fly in there and it's this really ominous shot and then the title card saying Evil Dead Rise like floats down from the top of the screen. It looks really dumb. It's really kind of funny and tension breaking as a moment. And that kind of told me, okay, so yeah, it's probably still going to be like 50% horror, 50% comedy. It was not. No, no. The focus then shifts. We get Beth. Beth is great. She is a wonderful character. If they want to just go ahead and make her a new Ash and do another couple of Evil Dead films with her, would not blame them because they really nailed it out of the park in a way that none of the characters in Evil Dead 2013 did. None none of them actually stood out at all as characters to me. No. This movie, yep, yep, yep. The characters felt a lot better, more unique. I, there's this thing that a lot of franchises learn, a lot of horror franchises learn, is that no matter what you're doing, the threat is more intimidating it comes off as much scarier if it's seen through the eyes of children. If some of the characters are children. Like, dear lord. You look at a great example for me is the Annabelle movies. Annabelle 1. Bad. <laughs> bad movie. Not a good movie. The weird thing was, it was a spin-off of The Conjuring, which immediately learned, yeah, have loads of kids around. Like, loads of kids. Every time there's a Conjuring movie, there's a bunch of kids. Third one, not as much. And it was by far the worst. But, yeah. Annabelle, first one. Mm-mm. It was two adults dealing with threat. Wasn't good. They didn't have any kids. That was dumb as shit. And there was seemingly no reason to make the story built like that. It was, it was so bizarre to me. Annabelle 2, or Annabelle Creation. They go do a prologue to a prologue. It was crazy. And what happens? It was awesome. It was a great movie. And to be fair, Mike Flanagan came in and did that one, I think. Mike Flanagan's just awesome. But that was the big difference in story terms, was it was all these kids dealing with the terror of Annabelle. That's a lot easier to make dolls seem scary when you're seeing it through the eyes of children. And then they kept that for Annabelle Comes Home, and that still worked really well. I still like that one a lot. So, a lot of horror franchises learn this, and Evil Dead's just learned it. It's got, it's got five characters <laughs> that get trapped in this uh, building because there's been an earthquake which happened to unleash this uh, bank vault down in the basement of the building. Oh, old bank vault buried down there in the basement. What's in the bank vault? A, a book? A book surrounded by crosses and stuff? That's nuts. <laughs> and you're going to read from it? Oh, you're going to play a little vinyl? It's got a priest reading out an incantation on it? Oh, no. So there's this mother. She's having hard times. This building's down, rickety, it's going to get demolished. And she's going to get kicked out. And her husband left her. Her three kids are kids and therefore kind of bastardy at times and now her kind of mess sister beth is visiting her her sister beth who is kind of a groupie kind of a guitar tech who obviously has some tech skills that could help out maybe at some point <laughs> every time every time in evil dead movies ash it was never really explained he works at like a shopping mart so it was never really explained why he had all these tech skills to build Chainsaw arms and things like that. You know? <laughs> it was never really explained. But uh, Beth is a guitar tech slash groupie. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, she doesn't do anything as crazy as building a chainsaw arm. This film takes itself way more seriously than any Evil Dead movie. Like 5,000 times more seriously than Army of Darkness. And um, 
It's freaking terrifying. That it it scarred me. I watch a lot of horror movies. My soul is dead, <laughs> and yet it got punched around a little bit by this one. For I uh, there are a lot of moments got me, a lot of really good jump scary moments. Just a general great feeling of dread and terror, which works beyond the jump scares. Which you always need a little something extra than just jump scares to actually make it decent horror movie, and this was way more than just decent. It was terrifying. Basically, mother goes down, she's doing some laundry, as the evil is unleashed, runs into the building, smacks her, uh-oh, gets caught in the elevator, doesn't quite as clearly get uh, stuff put inside her to get the evil inside her, but you get the gist. Uh, it seems, yeah, right in 2023 that we wouldn't we wouldn't do that so much, uh, focus on that one. But uh, then she comes back into the flat. Auntie Beth there with the three kids trying to survive and keep just any of the kids alive. That's one thing I'll say. Um, watch out for that. You kind of think the violence, the, the gore, the threat is going to be toned down somewhat because three out of the five main characters are children. It is not toned down. <laughs> At all. Oh, God, no. I was, uh, yeah, surprised at the level of, holy shit, <laughs> what they were willing to go and do with, I mean, to be fair, I'm pretty sure the two older kids weren't actually, like, child actors, but even so, <laughs> wow, yeah, it was rough and terrifying and brutal and edge of your seat action basically the whole time. Evil Dead movies are short. This might have been the longest one and it was still only a little over 90 minutes. And that's good because it didn't have any downtime. It went hard <laughs> the whole time. And it manages, it does get a little kookier in the finale. Still focused more on being threatening and thrilling, if not outright scary in the finale. Um, than it was comedic. It does have a dark sense of humour, but more in like a get-out kind of way than in a normal Evil Dead way. It worked really well. It's a great modern take on that style. It honours the franchise while moving it forward and, in my opinion, moving it to better places than it's ever been. I love Evil Dead too. Differently to how I love this, but this was... Just a phenomenal horror movie. Which is not a term I would use to describe any of the Evil Dead movies at all before this. So, it blew me away. I didn't think I was going to have this as one of my top horror movies of the year. I I think I will. <laughs> I would be surprised to see something beat this from the stuff that I've seen coming up for this year. I, I, you know, you never know. Um, I loved it more than Scream 6 which I definitely, at the start of the year, would have never bet on. Uh, it was next level. It was another great example, like Scream 6, of how to set a horror movie in the middle of a city. How you don't have to do the remote cabin in the woods thing to really isolate people as victims who are trapped. Um, that was awesome. And the whole film's awesome. And i got to give this a strong 9 out of 10. It's not a 10. Barely any horror movies actually hit like 10. Original Scream for me, yeah, definitely. The Thing, love The Thing. Alien, but barely anything does. But a 9 out of 10 is 
only reserved normally for like the top one or two horror movies each year, I think. And this is right up there. The Wow. <laughs> Just wow. I'm still blown away. I was literally really gripping my seat in kind of terror and in shock and just from the thrilling moments as well normally it kind of comes down a little bit and you're like all right for a finale but this one held it together for a really good tense thriller finale and there were so many really genuinely scary shocking moments earlier in it that yeah wow just maybe it was partly because big screen cinema experience for a good horror movie like that, but it just really blew me away in a way I did not expect. No. And that's my ranking of the Evil Dead movies. <laughs> it literally does, I, I kind of feel weird about it, that it goes 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 out of 10. That normally doesn't work out quite so neatly for me, but it just is. I, I didn't think I'd like Army of Darkness least watching them back. I don't think I did originally for... Just the trilogy of the original ones, but, eh, you know, tastes change. And I'm sure that Army of Darkness still makes a lot of people really happy. It's just, it's not even the cheap look or anything that's aged it for me. It's just the comedy makes me go a little bit like, eh, all right. Like, it's a, it's a bit over the top. It's, it is, I think that was the best way to describe it. it. It's a very American take on, like, Monty Python or something is what it feels like to me. So, anyway, moving on. There is another franchise to talk about this week. God, <laughs> I talked about that one for so long. Um, these these movies, Searching and Missing. Missing has just come out in the UK, which is why I'm talking about it. Um, I think it's been out for a while in America already. But Searching and Missing are screen life thrillers. They are shown, the, the every bit of perspective is through something on a screen. If that makes sense. So it's all uh, searching, for example. Searching follows John Cho, who is uh, looking for his daughter, who has vanished. And at first they think, uh, during the case they're following along with, oh, is uh, she's run away? Or no, she's been kidnapped? She's been murdered? What's going on? And, um, and Missing is similar, except it is Storm Reed plays the lead. And it's her mum has gone with her boyfriend down to Panama, Dominican Republic, somewhere in like the Caribbean, Mexico? Was it just Mexico? I can't remember. They, she's gone on holiday. She disappears. She gets, She vanishes. They find out she was shoved in the back of a truck and taken away. What the hell is going on? So both movies are awesome. I really didn't think I was going to like these. I thought it was a gimmick that was just not going to work very well. But they are made up in the kind of tense crime documentary fashion that has worked really well and, you know, made an entire generation of sociopaths who will only watch murder documentaries for their free time. But um, they're both just done really well. I'm stunned because I did. I did think... Oh, it's going to be similar to some of those like horror movies where it's all done through like a webcam chat and it's just really stupid. I've seen a couple of those now and they just, they, there is not a good one as far as I've seen. <laughs> but yeah, all these technology thriller films, they just, they just don't work most of the time. So this really blew me away that both of these, they're made by the same people, worked to this degree. It's crazy. But Searching 
it's awesome. John Cho, great lead. He's looking around. He's really getting involved in the investigation when it gets started up after he puts in the missing person report for his daughter. And the twists and turns it takes, none of them really feel too convoluted. He finds out that she used to stream to very few people on this essentially Twitch kind of platform and uh, and might have met people on there that she ran away to or that came and kidnapped her or tried to murder her. And there's just a lot of twists and turns it takes, like a, like a kind of crime documentary would be made up to look like. And everything is shown through cameras or, or FaceTime calls or security footage shown from something. It's... And the way it's done, you just, it sounds like something that, I don't know, I personally was expecting to go, eh, about. And instead I was going, wow, holy, oh my gosh, <laughs> by the end. And I gotta say that searching, it's its a 9 out of 10, just about for me, but it, it definitely is. Missing is the new one. And not quite as good for me. Storm Reed... She's just this. She's. I think she's just turned 18. She's got all her friends over partying as soon as her mom goes away for the week. Or for the for a week. And uh, it's, it's her last summer before college. So she's just really having a good time. She's chilling. She's not thinking about it. And then she goes to the airport to pick her mother up. And they're not there. And she thinks, what? And she goes home. And this whole time, again, everything you see through phones, through security footage, cameras through no that's most of it <laughs> security footage cameras uh, there's there's a really cool thing that does work very well she's got this like doorbell alarm that brings up a camera on her laptop or computer whatever it is um every time there's like motion outside and and, and for a thriller you can imagine that that's used well there's a couple times where that's used to great effect but in general, yeah. Missing plays off a little bit more than Searching as, like, a horror at times. Um, Searching just did really well. The The actual case and the twists it takes worked really well. Missing, it by the end, I, I, it didn't come off quite as well for me, and I feel like that's just because it didn't have the advantage of a couple of really major twists that really helped make Searching what it was. It is almost as good, though, anyway. Storm Reed is great lead. Wow. Really, really was fantastic. The threat feels very real, again, because she is 18, but she is basically a child, and that's what this is happening to her. So it's it's got that extra layer of threat at times. Um, and there are some really good twists. There are still some really good twists in terms of takes, which were still really impressively done. So, I don't know. I think it's probably an 8 out of 10. Very impressive performances. In both of these movies, really impressive performances. There's a lot of focus on just close-up of their faces as they're on these calls, as they're trying to figure things out, as they're just sitting there and the laptop camera is just kind of showing them just being there. There's a lot of impressive... You wouldn't even think about the things they need to try and really focus down on until... You get on camera like that and try to sit there and think about, oh, yeah, so wait, I've got to really, like, focus down on facial expressions and stuff. So much more than most films really need to think about, most performances. So that's really interesting. The way it unfolds, 
the case each time. They're both really well done. Missing better for me because better twists overall. Um, and yeah, or no, sorry, searching better for me. <laughs> Missing, it still had good twists. It got a little bit more convoluted at times, the case. Um, yeah, it gets, it gets pretty convoluted at times. It works out and you do actually still think by the end, yeah, if I didn't know that this wasn't real, I could... I could believe, I could be made to believe that it was a real case, definitely. Um, you can think that for both of them, which is good. And yeah, the way it's filmed, it's just awesome. Screen life thriller was a term that it made me scoff. Um, and I definitely didn't believe in the idea that I could like either of these movies. But there you go. I really did, personally. And I really think they're worth checking out. Eight to nine. Good stuff. The other... <laughs> the other... Um, the other movie I really want to talk about right now is RRR. <laughs> you know, I kept I kept saying, oh yeah, I gotta sit down and watch that at some point. But the more I heard about it, the, the less I believed. <laughs> I couldn't... People were saying, oh yeah, there's like tiger fights, there's giant action set pieces that look as, you know, silly and crazy and over the top as all those other Indian movies you've not watched. And um, and there's also dancing and singing, like a lot of it, really intense dancing and singing. And I thought, what? Like, no. <laughs> no, no, no. People are saying this is a three-hour epic, that it's one of the most impressive Indian movies ever, maybe the best Indian movie ever, that it's incredible, that it's got all this heart, and that it, it like, critics, it's not just fans that are enjoying it, it's not just regular viewers enjoy it, critics love it, critics wouldn't love something that's got that kind of over-the-top action, they would love something that's got that kind of really, really intense, kind of, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Carl Weathers in Predator doing this arm grasp, kind of brother bromance thing. I just couldn't imagine it having all that to the degree that I'd heard from other people and being really good. It is... kind of... <laughs> to ask whether this movie is actually good is one question. To ask whether I really enjoyed it is another. Yes, I really enjoyed it. Is it actually good or was I loving it because it's so stupidly trashy? that I love it in the same way that I love, like, the Velocipaster for being, like, a really cheap, bad B-movie that's just really funny. Like, honestly, I still don't fully know. I, I really appreciated this movie. It is great. It's about these two real-life Indian revolutionaries who never met, and it's basically, it is, it's going, like, okay, it's drawing a piece of fan art. That's what this movie is. It's a piece of fan art where it's these two historical Indian figures doing the really broy, roided up arm grasp in Predator. That's what it is. <laughs> it's got one guy who's the awesome, powerful, legendary champion of his village, and he's come to the city to try and get back this girl who was taken from his village. And the other guy... was a child who was trained as a soldier by his father, who was then murdered by the British soldiers who were in control. So the son then grew up 
and then wanted to raise an army to fight against the British soldiers. And so into doing this, he joined the British police force they'd set up, rose to a high enough rank that he could get his hands on a bunch of guns, and then tries to go and give the guns to his people. So that's what's going on with him. And there, <laughs> the whole thing is just so mental. It is really hard to believe. <laughs> it's really hard to believe that somebody actually made this movie, that it works, and that it became such an international phenomenon like it has. It's, it's got such incredibly insane, self-indulgent, self-indulgent, over-the-top action scenes. It, it, the guy fights a tiger and, and proves by grabbing these things and hoisting it back to trap the tiger that he is actually stronger than the tiger. Tigers weigh a lot. I mean, it doesn't matter. Um, there is, there's some insane song and dance sequences. Natu, Natu scene. Wow. <laughs> if there'd been just like four or five scenes like that, I would have been calling this like in Indian top hat, like the the equivalent of old like Gene Kelly movies or something. It is insanely good. There are other songs. Some of them are desperately dumb. Um, although the lyrics might just not translate to no, yeah, the lyrics are dumb. <laughs> what the lyrics actually mean are insane at times. It's very patriotic and all of this, which is which is cool and fine. But yeah, everything about it is so mental that I really find myself almost wanting to hit it because I just go, God, it's so dumb. It's so trashy. It's so stupid. It's so silly. But I just love it. It's so wacky and fun. And it just, the, the, the actors all look like they're just having so much fun. The very ending is just baffling. Like a lot of, a lot of it is just baffling. But you just don't find yourself minding like you mind when other films do dumb stuff. Even though the other films are doing stuff that's only half as dumb as this. This is like Army of Darkness. On every steroid imaginable. It's just nuts. I really don't know what to say about it. It's, it's left me pretty speechless. But I'm giving RR like an 8 out of 10. <laughs> I think... 1 out of 10? Maybe like a negative 5? A 12? I don't know. <laughs> I'll give it an 8. Yeah, that seems about right. Last movie we're going to talk about this week. The Beaster Bunny. Also known, because I got really confused trying to figure out whether these were the same movie, and it turns out they are. It's also known as Beaster Day, Here Comes Peter Cottonhell. Nothing is even remotely smart about that title. <laughs> Beaster, though. That's pretty funny, yeah. Um, yeah, so the Beaster Bunny is exactly what you're picturing. <laughs> it's got a surprisingly small, or surprisingly large animal control force in a small town where they're trying to have an Easter celebration with a very corrupt mayor who acts most of the time like Matthew Lillard playing Shaggy if he was way less good at it. Because Matthew Lillard, he'd nail Shaggy. Um, and, uh, yeah, it is so atrociously bad. 
like it it really makes me want to just shit on everyone who was involved in this um just go to their their gardens of the houses which they can't own they must all be in prison and um and just shit on the gardens the leading lady in at one point when i gotta find this line i wrote it down here somewhere at one point early in the film she says to her father i'm a creative i'm a blossoming flower and i need you to water me with your wallet ironically <laughs> this film was the source of making many parents disappointed in their children's creative choices so it is it is rough the the leading guy is almost dwight schrute-esque except if he didn't have a kind of charm to his bastardiness you know if he was just ugh. <laughs> just ugh. um at the beginning of the film he he does do this like joke where he goes to get dressed and first shoves like six pairs of socks down his trousers because he's so insecure about the size of his penis I, I don't know, it just felt like it was from a sitcom from the 80s that would get cancelled immediately and lost to time. It, it was, uh, and everything about it is trying to be that tongue-in-cheek and is just really, really, really terrible at it. The Beaster Bunny itself, um, sometimes definitely a puppet, sometimes just the worst. The worst, just the worst, Yeah. The sound effects for it are all dinosaur sound effects. Not that I expected them to use rabbit sound effects, just... Come on, you know? <laughs> if they changed the really, really rough giant rabbit special effects to really, really rough giant dinosaur, or just regular-sized dinosaur special effects, there would be very little difference. In fact, the film would probably just be better because there'd be less terrible attempts at jokes around Easter and rabbits. There's also a scene where the, the main girl walks in on her dad and his his new wife doing sexual play with a I can't remember, it was like a donut or something on the end of a fishing pole. Did I really? Is this real? Did I really watch this? <laughs> there was a, I, I'll say one more thing about it. There was a surprising amount of nudity. You would think in most of these movies that they can't actually just convince women for the meager pay they must be giving them to actually take off their clothes and throw away their dignity. But a surprising number of women did for this one, yeah. Lot of women died naked. So the Beaster Bunny gets a one out of ten, and um, I'm sad. You know, movies are bad. That was our movies are bad section of the week. In case you didn't know, <laughs> always let me know in the comments other terrible, terrible movies to watch because I am getting uncomfortably used to watching one a week, and I think my sanity is just slipping away that little bit quicker because of it. So let's speed that process up. <laughs> Finally, this week, I always talk about something that is outside of the world of movies, but still inside the realms of pop culture. It's pretty obvious what I want to talk about this week. It's The Mandalorian. I didn't want to be saying this. 
I didn't even expect to be saying this at the end of this season of The Mandalorian, but I'm disappointed. Yeah, Mandalorian Season 1, I thought was overhyped, but really good. Season 2 of The Mandalorian, can't overhype it. Was incredible. Season 3 of The Mandalorian, at, at this point they just kind of went, hey, we nailed it. We really made a groovy hit show. Huge deal. Let's just sit on it. Sit on this egg and <laughs> milk it for all it's worth. Those are weird crossing metaphors. Um, so yeah, it is... It's fine, you know? It's just fine. You really step back from the whole Din and Grogu thing. At the same time, they're kind of trying to really focus in on that by being like, yeah, look, we're we're finally making Grogu Din Djarin's official apprentice. And then we're making him his official son. Big events, big moments. Oh, this this bond of father and son. Great. I think maybe partly it was a letdown because the entire world is still reeling from how good the father-daughter relationship was in The Last of Us. <laughs> but also just, yeah, it felt like it was milking, over-milking that while not actually really focusing on them because it was focusing on Bo-Katan so much more. Which, fair. It's called The Mandalorian. It could be about just Mandalorians in general. That's fine. But it just didn't end up working all that fantastically. I don't think this was a bad season. I just think it was by far the worst season. And in general, just good. I think it was good. I think it was a kind of seven bordering on eight out of ten. And for me, it was just weird because it was just like, hey... Guess what? We got Moff Gideon. We finally defeated him in Season 2. No. So, we're going to have to finally defeat him in Season 3. This big culmination, this big finale. We're on Mandalore. We're retaking Mandalore. He's arrived. He's he's going to challenge us. We've got the Darksaber. Uh-oh. Darksaber been this whole big thing. Just, okay, get rid of that. What? And then, okay, well, fine. He's built this, this suit out of Beskar. He's, whoa, it's going to be hard to beat him this time. And it kind of was, but then it was like, right, so now we finally got him. No, probably not. He gets, like, attacked, or he gets, like, crushed or whatever, but... It really, like, we didn't see a body. I think they probably kept him alive again. And that's just really, like, no. If Moff Gideon comes back one more time, I'm going to be really fed up with this show, because that is just not okay. If he just actually gets away or something, all right. But the fact that it's just like, no, there's a lot of shit wrong with the New Republic, so he can just escape and come back after us. Like, no. And the fact that after proving how incompetent they are and how much shit there is inside the New Republic, Din's ending the season by going, yeah, I'm going to work for those guys. It's just a bit... Also, there was that one episode in the middle of the season where it was basically Andor. felt like I was watching Andor, but not as good as Andor. And it was fine. It was a good episode, but it just didn't kind of go anywhere. So, all right. Weird season. Yeah. And it does look like they're just kind of going back to the basics of the show in season four, so maybe it'll be fine. But I am worried that it's going to get pretty terrible. It's either going to level out back to kind of at least like season one standard, or be a really bad show next season. I think there's no in-between. But overall, I'll give The Mandalorian season three maybe a be kind and give it just that eight out of ten just about. But um, it is a letdown for me compared to the other two seasons especially following up on season two. To be fair, I find this a lot with TV personally. Season two of 
a lot of shows that I really like is my favorite. Sophomore season, you get rid of all the world building and stuff in season one, so that bogs you down a little bit at times for most shows. And then season two, you just free of the shackles. You get to be the original vision that the creators had of what they want the show to be without all that lore and world building weighing it down. Bang. And then after that, you kind of have to start changing up the initial premise somewhat and moving forwards with plans you didn't necessarily have at the very beginning. And that's kind of where things start to slip a little bit, a lot of the time. Not all the time, by any means, but a lot of the time, yeah. Season 2 is often the best season of a show for me. Anyway, that's everything for this week, folks, on the Movies Are Good podcast. We've got a little look ahead as to what's happening next week. Interesting mix of stuff. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is probably Peter Pan and Wendy. The live-action Peter Pan coming out on Disney+. Plus. I mean, judging from other Disney Plus released adaptions of their animated movies, I'm not hopeful. <laughs> I enjoy the story of Peter Pan well enough, but it's never been one of my favourites. And none of the films ever really do anything that much for me. Hook, 2003 Peter Pan, 2015 Peter Pan any of a thousand other adaptions, none of them ever really kept me going that much. Even the original animated Disney one. I like it. I don't love it. I have never loved an adaption of Peter Pan, so maybe I'll be proven wrong, and this one will really blow it out of the park for me, but I'm expecting probably like a... Five. Like a 5 out of 10 for that. Yeah. Big George Foreman is coming out next week. That's an interesting one. Uh, another big boxing movie. Not the first this year. Interesting. Um, true Life Story. More hopeful for that. But I'm still tempering my expectations somewhat. Because I haven't seen that much about it. I've seen the trailer like once. It looks pretty good. But I'm... I don't know. Nothing about it's really standing out to me so far. I am hopeful that it'll be really good, but expecting maybe like a 7 out of 10. Uh, there's a couple of British films coming out next week. Polite Society, which I think looks really fun and I've been really excited for. Um, really hoping it's like my British film of the year. So far that I'd have to get past things like Riley in, which have been really good. So I'm hoping Polite Society is going to be an 8 out of 10 at least. Fingers crossed on that one. Been really looking forward to it. Would be very disappointed if it kind of sucks. Uh, and The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry is another one coming out. It's another British one. It's uh, it, it looks interesting. I feel like it's going to be a bit of a tired concept by the time the film actually wraps up. It's about a guy who's walking basically across country just because. And that, it, it looks interesting in a trailer, but I am worried it's going to be quite tired by the end. I'm expecting like a 6 out of 10. And finally, movies are bad entry for next week. I'm planning to watch Killer Sofa. So that's going to be a 1 out of 10. And that's all we have time for this week on the Movies Good Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed. I will see you next week. Don't forget to subscribe and follow, etc. And I'll see you later.